Thank you for that ministry of music. During our prayer time, I neglected to pray for all the young people that are at Snowglow this weekend. Now, there are hundreds of young people that are being ministered to in the Word of God. They are having a great time. It's wonderful. They have snow. And uh, we certainly are praying that God would use this time in their lives. Uh, some that uh, would come to faith. Others make some really significant decisions about their their future and their relationship to God. And we certainly pray for their safety. So would you just uh, join with me in prayer? Our Father, we do uh, pray for all those that are involved with Snowglow this weekend. Uh, we uh, thank you for the sponsors and for the tireless uh, energy that uh, they demonstrate and staying up late at night and being involved in all the activities and sports of the weekend. Thank you for their dedication and commitment. Lord, we certainly pray for the young people as they sit under the teaching of your word, as they have uh, devotionals in their small groups, as they participate in conversations and all kinds of uh, pleasurable events. Lord, uh, watch over them, protect them, keep them safe. And also, Lord, we pray for your spirit to work in their hearts and uh, produce that which would be pleasing and uh, honorable and uh, serving to you. So, Lord, uh, give them safety as they travel back in these uh, roads. Uh, may all go well, and may there be a great cause of rejoicing in Jesus' name. Amen. It has often been said that the Christian life consists in nothing more than do's and don'ts. That's usually said in a very derogatory way and focuses on uh, some legalistic tendencies on the part of some teachers. But today's passage does provide us with do's and don'ts, but they're do's and don'ts in the way in which we should respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. We are instructed to cooperate with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The do's of the Christian life are to be at work in the totality of our lives. If you would turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as we look at verses 16, 17, and 18, they really shouldn't be separated from 19, 20, and 21. For all these verses, as I seek to demonstrate this morning, have a relationship to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we find this universal language that is used. Uh, notice, for example, verse 16, rejoice always. Uh, 17, pray without ceasing. Always, without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything, give thanks. It's looking at the totality of one's life. And so we're to see that there are these characteristics that are to be manifest in all of our lives as a whole. So we're going to look at the do's and don'ts in relationship to the Holy Spirit. The first do in the relationship to the Holy Spirit is do rejoice always. Verse 16, rejoice always. As a result of the relationship that we enjoy to the Holy Spirit, we are to be a people who are always rejoicing. This is not the same as a commandment to feel happy at all times. Nowhere in the scripture 
are we commanded to feel happy at all times, nor do any of us uh, know that experience to be feeling happy at all times. But happiness is the response to circumstances. Joy, on the other hand, is a product of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, manifest even in the midst of negative circumstances. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, it said, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation and rejoicing or with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Even though they had experienced tribulation as a result of receiving the word of God, even though they were being persecuted, even though they were being chased, even though they were being beaten, and yes, some actually died, even though there had been hardship that came as a result of the word of God, and they were not happy about it. Nonetheless, they had reason to joy as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit. They were thankful that they had received that word which was able to save their souls. And so the Holy Spirit produced a joy in their lives. We are reminded time and time again that joy is a product of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, meekness. Against such there is no law. It's not a matter of just discipline. It's not a matter of legalistic involvement. It is the product of a relationship to the Holy Spirit. As we develop our relationship to the Holy Spirit, we will become a people that are rejoicing. And if you notice, rejoicing is an active word. It's a verb. It is something that we are to do. It's not emotion. It's not a feeling. It's an action. We are to rejoice. We are to express the joyfulness that is in our hearts. Some people are always grumbling and complaining. They're miserable. And they're miserable to be around and they let it known. We are a people that are to let it know, let it know, that there is joy in our hearts as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit. There is cause to have joy. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He intercedes for us. Romans 8 says that he prays for us and according to the will of God. He empathizes with us. He consoles us. He encourages us. We are to be a people that are joyful, rejoicing that the Spirit of God is at work in our hearts and lives. I don't know about you, but I've encountered many situations that I say to myself, 
I can't imagine what it would be like to be a non-Christian and to go through that. There are so many times I'm just thankful that I'm a Christian. That the Holy Spirit is there to minister to my heart, to your heart. It is a cause of rejoicing to be thankful and delighted in the reality that we are God's. He is watching over us. He is protecting us. Uh, We have an expectation of ultimate good and that which is right. So we are to be rejoicing always. Next, do is we are to be praying without ceasing. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Now, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Well, we are to be in a constant state of dependence upon God. However, prayer without ceasing is not an attitude of dependence. This is not an attitude of prayer. Again, the word is a verb. It's an action. In fact, it is an action that is commanded. Pray without ceasing. It is an activity. Prayer is not an attitude. Prayer is speaking to God. We can speak to God audibly. We can speak to God silently. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. We don't have to pray out loud. We can pray quietly without ever audibly saying, Lord, help me. Inwardly, we can be saying, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom in this situation. Teach me what to say. Guard my temper. We don't have to pray audibly. We can pray silently. But it is prayer. It is a conscious directing of our desires towards God. It is prayer. You can't have an attitude of prayer any more than you can have an attitude of conversation. Think about it. What in the world would that mean? Always be in an attitude of conversation with your spouse. It's meaningless. A conversation requires communication. Prayer requires communication. It is communicating with God. But what is at the core, the center idea of praying without ceasing? The idea is that Paul never stops praying certain prayers. In Romans 1, 9 and 10, it says this, For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly, same word, I make mention of you always in my prayers making request. The idea is not that Paul is praying 24 hours a day, but that Paul is always praying about going to Rome. In other words, Paul never gives up praying for going to Rome. If you look at the book of Romans, Paul says there were a number of occasions that he had purposed to come to the Romans, but he was prevented thus far from coming. But he says, but I pray unceasingly. 
I pray unceasingly. Listen to the words of Jesus. Luke 18.1 Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Pray and not lose heart. Pray and not be discouraged. Pray and not give up. The idea is that we should never give up on prayer. And there are prayer requests that we should never give up on. We need to consistently pray. Prayer is appropriate in all circumstances. And thus provides us with an ability to be joyful. Why? Because we always have prayer to rely upon. Ephesians 6.18 With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Philippians says uh, that we are to let our moderation or even keeledness be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We should be a people that don't give up on prayer. And it's a reason to be joyful. We have an opportunity to pray. We have an opportunity to pray. Never give up on prayer. Never say, what's the use? Never say, I tried praying and that doesn't work. Look with me just a few chapters earlier. The first Thessalonians 3.10. Here's an example. In the life of the Apostle Paul of what he is talking about. First Thessalonians 3.10. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face. Paul says, I pray. I pray night. I pray in the day. I keep praying. Keep praying. That's the thought of praying incessantly. I keep praying. This is before me. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop praying until I'm in your presence. Until I get to see you face to face. Brothers and sisters, there are a host of things that we never should stop praying for. We should never stop praying for the spiritual development of our children, no matter how old they are or how old we are. We never should stop praying that that God would watch over us, protect us, keep us, guard our hearts, guard our minds, guard our decisions, guard our actions. We should never stop praying that God would give us humility, that God would grant us wisdom, that God would fill us with the Spirit of God, that Holy Spirit, to produce that fruit within our lives. A never a reason to stop praying. Some people never pray. Some people never pray. It's odd, but they don't. They don't pray. Some people pray very intermittently. They pray when there are great troubles. They pray when there are, are real hardships and, and difficulties. I remember one time coming out of Hershey Medical Center. And I was walking and it just so happened I had my Bible in my hand. And uh, as I was walking, a person stopped me. And they said, uh, would you be a minister by any chance? I said, yes, I am. And they said, would you pray for me? And they had a lot of concerns. And I said, I'd be happy to. And I prayed. I didn't get the impression that that person prayed a whole lot. 
But there was a time when they saw a need for prayer. The thought here is that some people don't pray very often. Some people pray very intermittently. And sometimes we can pray in a very rote fashion. You probably pray before meals. You probably pray before you go to bed. You might pray when you get up and, and uh, start the day. And you might pray when you have devotions. But this thought is that we would pray throughout the day. Throughout the day. That there would be situations to say, thank you, Lord. There would be situations to say, I don't want to do it, Lord. There would be times to say, you know, God, I don't feel like doing the right thing here. You're going to have to guard my heart and mind. Lord, I lost my temper. Forgive me. Lord, I'm about to lose my temper. Help me to keep my cool. Lord, I'm dreading going to work. I hate thinking about meeting with this person. You're going to have to superintend. I don't know what to do with my kids. Help me. You know, it doesn't have to be flowery. It doesn't have to be long. It is just an ongoing recognition that I need the help of God. But it is a conscious recognition that actually calls out to Him. Giving Him praise, giving Him glory, or seeking His help in some fashion. Pray. Does that be out loud? Does that be audible? But it has to be a conscious recognition of addressing our God. Never give up on prayer. And verse 18, do give thanks in everything. In everything give thanks. We are to be in a constant state of gratitude. First Thessalonians 5.18 And everything give thanks. Again, not just an attitude, but an action. Actually give thanks in every situation. Some people are never grateful, thankful, or appreciative. Ingratitude is rampant. And especially in gratitude towards God. In Romans 1.21 it says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him or glorify Him as God, neither were they thankful. Or gave thanks. Adam and Eve were not thankful in the Garden of Eden. They demonstrated an incredible ingratitude. Here they are in this beautiful garden, eating sumptuously, and there was just one tree that they could not eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For God said, for the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And they rebelled against God. They didn't listen to God. They went against God. They weren't willing to follow the will of God. And you notice it says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. Romans 8.28 
All things work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, there are, it's, it's hard to understand in every circumstance how this is actually achieving the will of God, but it is. It is. God has a purpose. God has a reason for every event and circumstance in your life. That doesn't mean you're happy. That doesn't mean that, wow, things couldn't be, in my estimation, better. But it does mean that this is God's will and it is reason to be thankful. Because God's will is always right. God's will is always just. God's will is always holy. But they questioned, Adam and Eve questioned the goodness of God. They allowed the serpent to, to tempt them and to say, has God really said that you should not eat from this tree? God knows that the day that you eat thereof, you will, that you'll be like him. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. And so they weren't thankful. And they didn't rejoice. And they didn't pray about their decision. And they rebelled against God. In everything, give thanks. In Second Timothy, it says this. But realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Boastful. Arrogant. Revilers. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful or unthankful. It's one of the characteristics of, of ungodliness to be unthankful. We are to be a thankful people. Now, turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 3. Because these verses are not to be understood in isolation, they're in a context. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3.9. And we see that these three concepts, praying without ceasing, rejoicing the Lord always, and uh, giving of thanks, is found in this verse. 1 Thessalonians 3.9. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we will see your face. All three come together in those two verses. I'm, we're praying without ceasing. We are rejoicing always. And we are giving thanks. That is to characterize our lives as a people of God. That's what we ought to be doing. Always rejoicing because we are his people. Always giving thanks because his will is being accomplished in our lives. And always pray with a constant recognition of dependence upon God. Those are the do's. So now the don'ts. The don'ts in relationship to the Holy Spirit. The first, do not dampen the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Oftentimes in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is represented by fire. By fire. For example, in Matthew chapter 3.11, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to 
remove his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The admonition is do not squelch the work of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30 it says do not grieve the Holy Spirit. For the, the Holy Spirit is a person. Do not smother, do not suppress the work of the Holy Spirit. Do not hold down the work of the Holy Spirit. Do not oppose, do not resist, do not reject the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is in view when he says that? What's in view is verse 20. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Do not despise prophetic utterances. It is the Holy Spirit that produces prophecy. Whether this is referring to the gift of prophecy in the New Testament church or the scripture itself, because it could be either one, what is being stressed is the activity of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit applies the scriptures to our hearts and minds. The Holy Spirit instructs us through the Word of God what we are to do. The Old Testament is just filled with example after example of kings going against the counsel and instruction of the prophets. We need to be on guard in our hearts and minds. When the Word of God is preached, when the Word of God is taught, or when the Word of God is simply read, whatever medium it is that you come in contact with the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit speaks, as it were, to your heart or mind, bringing conviction. As you read the Word of God, you know that, that, that there are things that you ought to change in your life. At that moment, yield to the Spirit of God. At that moment, say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to make those changes. I don't know how. I, I, I don't find that power within me, but, but God, I will do what you want me to do. Help me to make those changes. Help me to do what is, is right. We quench we squelch the Holy Spirit in our lives when we resist those promptings, when we resist those convictions, when we refuse to give in to those promptings. We are quenching the Spirit. We despise, we belittle the Spirit's work, when we get to the place where we won't even listen to the Word of God any longer, when we won't pick it up, when we won't read it, when we won't sit under the, the teaching of the Word of God, or we won't sit under the preaching of the Word of God because we know it's going to condemn our actions. We know that it's going to find fault with something we're doing and we don't want to hear it. We don't want anything to do with that. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, to see this in context. Here's one example. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. You be set apart. You be different from the world. 
That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as also we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Verse 8. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul writes about one particular aspect of sanctification. You can read about tons of things. He chooses one. Sexual immorality. And he says, don't be like the world. Don't be like the Gentiles. Be separate. Be sanctified. Be different than the world around you. And he concludes the thought with, if you're rejecting that, just be sure you understand, you're not rejecting what Paul is saying. You're not rejecting what a man is saying. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit. His word and his convicting power. That is quenching the spirit. That is despising those prophetic utterances to go against the clear teaching and even our own conviction. So when we hear those things and, and our heart pricks us and we say, I know I shouldn't be doing that, but I want to do that. That's the way I want to live my life. That's the way I want to conduct my life. At that point, we are quenching and we are rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. So instead, when you look at verse 21, you might want to put a big instead in your margin. Because it's a contrast. It's going against those first two ideas. Instead, do consider carefully what's being said. But examine everything carefully. In other words, evaluate the entirety of your life in light of the whole Word of God. Examine everything carefully. These are universalistic words. In everything give thanks. Always rejoicing. Now it's examine everything. We are to allow the Spirit of God to address every facet of our lives. We are not to be living departmentalized lives. You know what I mean by that? Departmentalized lives where, where you allow the Word of God to address certain issues in your life, but not others. You won't let Him in on every facet of your life. There are secret sins that there are so many things that we won't tolerate, but there's this one area of our life. So many times people are different in public than they are in private. Their behaviors change when no one else is around. Or they may be very godly in certain areas. And so Paul just talked about sexual impurity. And maybe somebody's here to say, well, I, I don't wrestle with that. I, I, I've never, never done that. I've never been impure sexually. I've never even had a, an impure thought. It's hard to believe, but maybe you're sitting there and you're saying that to yourself. But... There's another area of your life. Maybe you're greedy. 
Maybe you take vengeance upon people. Maybe you're unkind. Maybe you're not as thankful as you ought to be. Maybe the point is, examine everything. Let the Holy Spirit have full sway. I almost sang this morning, search me, O God, know my heart today, see if there may be any wicked way. I mean, that's the idea here. Allow the Spirit of God to address every area of your life. One of the conundrums of preaching, and there are different thoughts on this line, is what do you do when it comes to applying a passage of Scripture? Should you apply it? Here's the truth, such as praying. You should always pray. Should you come up with examples? It's difficult. You have men, you have women. You have children, singles, married people. Everybody's life is different. Every situation is different. And if you're going to be applying, you're going to miss hosts of people in their own particular situation. They're going to listen to that and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. That has no relevance to me. The wonderful thing about preaching is that the Holy Spirit accompanies the preaching of the Word. And so, even though I may not say, here's how you apply this verse in your life, you're sitting there and the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind ways in which you need to apply this Word in your own life. I'm often amazed and what people say they get out of a sermon. Because I'm thinking, man, I, I, I wasn't thinking that at all. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Have you ever sat through a message and thought, I wonder how he knows that about me? Have you ever felt like there was a, a sermon that was preached at you? I can honestly say I've never ever preached a sermon at anybody. But the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes that word and says, that's what I needed. Not just in conviction. Also in help, encouragement, comfort. That's what I needed today. That's what I needed to hear. How did he know that? He didn't know that. It has nothing to do with me. And everything to do with the word and the Holy Spirit. Which is a cause of rejoicing. A cause of welcoming the Spirit of God to bring that conviction. For it's not negative, it's positive. It makes us a better people. A more rejoicing people. A more thankful people. A more praying people. As we allow the Word of God to work. So, examine everything closely. Next, refrain from every. Uh, excuse me. Uh, next, keep following that which is good. Verse 21. Always seek after that which is good. Hold fast to that which is good. Look at First Thessalonians 5.15. Context again. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, 
But only seek after that which is good, that which is right, that which is appropriate. Do the good thing. As you look at your life, and as you examine your life, and as you read the Word of God, you will find that there are just loads of occasions in which you say, you know, I, 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 before God, I believe I'm doing the right thing. Then continue to do it. Then continue to do it. It may not be easy. It may be hard. You may not feel like doing it. You may wonder if it's paying off. You may wonder if there's any benefit in it. But you say before God, I really believe this is what I ought to be doing. And the Spirit of God testifies and says, yes, that's what you ought to be doing. Then hold on for dear life. Don't give it up. Don't change. Don't move. If you're doing the right thing, hold on with all your might. And persevere. And, it says, next, verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. Every kind of evil. Literally, everywhere evil appears. I need to say that because the King James has a couple of verses where it translates, avoid the appearance of evil. And sometimes I think when people read that, it, they, they're, they're, they're thinking, I've got to avoid even the appearance of evil. In other words, it's not evil, but somebody may think it is, therefore I better not do it. Because it may appear to be evil. That's not how the word appear is used in, in Greek. That's not the thought. It's the, the thought is wherever evil shows its face, wherever evil appears, wherever evil crops up, it's amazing where evil can crop up. Even in good places, all of a sudden, evil can crop up. We're thinking good thoughts. We're watching a wholesome movie, and all of a sudden, up comes a, a thought that we shouldn't have. We need to abstain, abstain from every place where evil shows itself. Look at verse 15 of chapter 5. See that no one repays another evil with evil, but always seek that which is good for one another and for all men. See, it's giving, it's giving us an application. One such example where evil appears is showing vengeance. One place where evil appears is desiring to get even with other people. Well, this morning, if you have a grudge with somebody and you want to get even, back off. Don't do it. It's not the right thing to do. Bury the hatchet. Get rid of the grudge. Demonstrate a forgiving spirit. Don't repay evil for evil. That's one example of where evil may appear. We had another example of sexual immorality and where evil can appear. You're dating this wonderful girl guy. He knows the Lord. You know the Lord. You love the Lord. And all of a sudden, you're experiencing this sexual temptation. Resist it. Say no to it. That's one application. There are myriads of applications. And we trust that right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind situations in your own life that you say, I know this is wrong. 
Well then, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Cut it out of your life. If you need to, be like Joseph and run from it. Call on those with the Lord out of a pure heart. But the passage is saying, if you're doing what's right, hold on no matter what. And if you're doing what's wrong, get rid of it no matter what. No matter what the cost on either side of that equation. No matter how hard to hold on, no matter how hard to give up. No matter what trouble you may encounter by holding on, no matter what trouble you may encounter by giving up. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, examining every situation, examining the whole Word of God, and as a result, hold on to what's good and get rid of what's bad. And you will be fulfilling God's will for your life. That is God's will. Your sanctification. I've said it often. The Holy Spirit... The word holy is a title. It is a descriptive title. We could easily refer to the Holy Father, the Holy Son, the Holy Spirit. He is referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit because that is his primary ministry. He is producing holiness in our lives. That's what his work is. That's what he is about. Changing us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Helping us to get rid of sin. And infusing us with righteousness. He is about changing us in order to be a people who are doing the will of God. And this passage is simply saying, don't quench that. Don't squelch that. Don't dampen that. Don't suppress that. Don't retard that. Allow the Spirit of God to work out through His Word. And when he brings conviction, accept it. Accept it readily. Rejoice that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. Give thanks that God brings these things to your attention. And pray without ceasing that God would give you victory in these areas of your life. As you hold on to what's good and you get rid of what's false. Let's pray. Our Father, we come grateful for the Holy Spirit. Grateful that every child of God has a relationship to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who has brought us to faith. It is the Holy Spirit that keeps us in faith. Lord, we all know what it is to be convicted by your Spirit. We all also know the temptation to struggle against that conviction. When our heart is pricked, our eyes are opened, our mind is made aware. And we are left with a decision. Lord, help us not to quench. But, Lord, help us to respond appropriately to the Holy Spirit. To rejoice in the Spirit's working in our lives. To give thanks for what you are revealing to us. And to make it a matter of prayer. For, Lord, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
So strive with us, O God, and help us as your people to hold fast to that which is good. Every time we are reinforced in our faith to do what is right, O God, help us to set that resolve. And more than just our inner strength, help us to pray, God, keep us in the right and narrow way. Help me to continue to do what I struggle against. Help me, O God, to maintain this right standard. And, O God, in any area where we find ourselves giving in to evil, whatever, wherever it shows its face, may we be like Job. May we be one who shuns evil and clings unto righteousness. For we pray these things in the person of the Holy Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In closing, we're going to sing a different hymn.